When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gents, another episode of Off the Post. I'm John Mattis, and thank you for listening. Uh, on the other side of this of this intro is Matthew Collar of ESPN. We break down all eight playoff series in the NHL. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we go off track a few times because of uh, I'm confusing about which division is which, and um, we go on little tangents. But you know, uh, there, there's a lot of fun about an hour of of playoff talk there. First off the top, though, I just I, I had to I have to mention Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and, and the tragedy there, and you know, 15 dead, 14 injured. We're, I'm recording this on on Tuesday night, and and that, that's that's the latest uh, update. Um, obviously, my sincerest condolences to those affected. Um, for those listening, I encourage you to to type in the hashtag, uh, put your stick out um, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's uh, it's been trending. It's gone viral, where people are putting their sticks on their front porches, uh, sort of as a symbol to uh, to support the victims and their families, and and show that that everyone's there um, for these these teenagers that lost their lives um, and and their loved ones. It's it's a great tribute, and uh, there's a lot of them out there. There's GoFundMe campaigns. I know that that there's one in particular that's up there at, at seven million, which is phenomenal. Um, it's it's reached far beyond Saskatchewan and Canada. It's gone to the states. It's gone Europe. Uh, everyone knows about this, and obviously, we would we would hope that this never happened, and none of us knew about it, but but it did, and and those directly affected are are getting through it. Uh, it's clearly very difficult, and. Um, from afar, I mean, all we can do is, is sort of support in any way we can. So there's that hashtag. There's GoFundMe pages. I, I encourage you to get involved some way, shape, or form. And at the very least, stay informed. Um, NationalPost.com, TorontoSun.com, uh, The Star Phoenix, uh, our paper and website um, on the scene is, is another great source. And uh, other outlets, too. TSN uh, had a great interview with Chris Joseph, uh, one of the fathers and a former NHLer, one of the fathers of of, of uh, a boy who died on the bus um just a heartbreaking interview um so anyways um uh, that's that's my two cents on the situation and uh again it's just it's terrible it's tragic and uh, there's not much else i can say um so anyways i'm matthew caller on the other side of this intro uh espn hockey playoffs let's go From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Matthew Collar, hockey writer for ESPN.com's Insider section. Also, Vikings reporter for 1500 ESPN. But we are not going to talk about the NFL. That is banned from this podcast. We're talking about the NHL and the playoffs that are about to start. We're recording this on Tuesday evening. The playoffs start tomorrow. Matthew, what's up, and are you excited? Okay, first I am excited. Are you sure you don't want to go through my no. mock drafts? No. Are you sure? None of that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's banned. Um, so oh, okay. What, All right. 
I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to give you a lot of control right now. Which playoff series, you know, there's four in each conference. You pick the first series, and we'll focus on that conference first. Uh, let's go with the one nearest and dearest to me, the Minnesota Wild and Winnipeg Jets. Yes, I should mention that you are based in uh, the great state of Minnesota. Okay, so the Jets, second in the Central, the Wild, third in the Central. To me, um, because of Ryan Suter's injury, this is one series where it could get ugly fast. Um, I think going in, um, you know, uh, the Jets are still the heavy favorites, but I don't think um, it's necessarily, you know, a sweep situation or anything like that. But the problem with Minnesota is that it's not necessarily what Ryan Suter is doing during those minutes. And he during the season, you know, I believe it was 26 minutes and 47 seconds a night, something around those 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 numerals. Um, it's not necessarily what he's doing. It's actually like who's going to fill in those minutes in general. Like where it, someone could do sort of average hockey playing during those minutes, but what's you know who, who's filling in for that player? It, it's just such a an impactful um, almost thirty minutes of ice time gone. Um, and Spurgeon, who would be I guess the guy that you would want to rely on. It looks like he's not a hundred percent. He's supposed to be in for game one. Uh, on Wednesday, but you know, what do you go to Matt Dumba next? Do you go to uh, Brodeen? Uh, it's really uh, the Minnesota back end is, is the whole story to me here and how they adjust to arguably, um, in my opinion, the, the best top nine in the league. Um, I give the best 12, um, top 12, I should say, to uh, to Toronto, but Winnipeg's top nine is, is just nasty and they're going to come at them in waves. Well, I, I definitely agree with you there. I, I ranked all of the forward groups uh, in the playoffs for ESPN for an article, and I ranked Winnipeg as uh, the number one in the Western Conference. And, uh, you know, I put Tampa Bay up there. I put Toronto up there, like you said. But with that first three lines, which will carry the, the majority of the ice time, no matter what team you're talking about, they are super dominant. And, you know, the second line features a 19-year-old who had 44 goals this year. That's the second line. And the first line has a guy who scored 91 points and a point per game to a rising star center. I mean, this is about as good as you're going to face. And without Ryan Suter, it definitely is an uphill battle. But I think what we're really going to find out from the Minnesota Wild is just how far has Matthew Dumba really come? You know, this year, to me, has been total breakout year for him that we might see him uh, even get better from here on but this is what people had hoped for for a long time that it was a lot of inconsistencies it was a lot of bad mistakes to go along with the great plays over the first few years and even at the beginning of this season we saw some of that but uh he's he's morphed over the rest of this year and, and become one of the better offensive defensemen in the entire NHL, there are only six players in the league, or, or, or sorry, five, he's six, uh, who have been on the ice for more five-on-five goals for their team. So he has been creating a lot of offense from, from the back end. He isn't, uh, doesn't have the total giveaways anywhere close to what it was earlier in his career. Um, he played tougher minutes this year along with Jonas Brodeen. In the past, he had kind of rotated around a bit with Marco Scandella there, but... 
now with Scandella gone, there's been a lot of pressure on him, and I think he's really risen to that challenge. But this is going to be something entirely different of potentially seven games uh, against that level of competition. So that becomes their number one pair is Matt Dumba and Jonas Brodeen. And then Minnesota Wild fans and the rest of the NHL are going to have to get familiar with the name Carson Soucy, who is going to play alongside Jared Spurgeon, a six foot five guy who's played three total NHL games and is a former fifth round pick. So if somehow Minnesota pulls this out, this will be the series that we remember for Carson Soucy. That's what I'm talking about. Carson Soucy is the guy who is filling in for Ryan Suter. He might not take up all of his minutes, but you know, there's a trickle-down effect there. Um, someone's got to eat up some sort of um, sizable minutes. It's, it's going to come down to basically Devin Dubnik has to channel his inner Tim Thomas or something. He's, he's going to have to uh, pull some tricks out of his bag because not only do the Jets have uh, the incredible forward group, um, you know, you go down the list, Wheeler, Connor, Shifley, uh, Line A, Little, like you just keep going on and on and on. Now, Perot, um, not only do they have that incredible depth and high-end skill, but their defense is actually, it's pretty good. I'd say it's average, um, and their goaltending is, is perfectly fine. It's probably about um, about league average, maybe a little bit above average. Like, the Jets are a legit team, a legit contender, and the Wild would have had trouble with them with Suter. Um and then now it's it's more of a it's a nightmare. I think I think they're going to take one or two games. I don't think this is going to be a walkover, but um, it's one of the series that out of the eight where I'm I'm really certain about about my pick uh, taking the Jets. I yeah, I've been sort of running through different scenarios where I could see the Wild actually winning, and a, a couple of them. One you mentioned if. Devin Dubnik stands on his head and pulls a Yaroslav Halak or something from years ago. Um, obviously not modern Yaroslav Halak, <laughs> but... Uh, what about J.S. Shiger? J.S. Shiger from yeah, yeah. whatever year that yes, was. right. It, I mean, we have seen a number of those where it happens. Even I would say that for Jake Allen last year for St. Louis, that there's always in the first round some goalie who gets really hot. And Dubnik has a very poor playoff pass. He's only won... 7 of 21 playoff games with a 903 save percentage which when a guy has done so much in his regular season career you think is he due to have one of those great fantastic series because he's been such a good goalie since he came to Minnesota he's got a 923 save percentage has been one of the best in the league so there's got there's got to be a turnaround there at some point though it's pretty hard when the guys taking shots at you are uh, Patrick Laine and Mark Scheifele, right? Uh, the other part of it is the third and fourth lines for Minnesota and Zach Parisi. Those are the other two things. If Parisi, who's kind of refreshed now after he got back surgery and he's played really well since he's come back, if he resembles the old Zach Parisi, which he hasn't for a long time, but maybe this rest will help, he can shut people down and he can dominate at times in a series. And the, also the, the fourth line for the Wild, as it stands right now going into this, will be Joel Eriksson-Eck, Marcus Foligno, and, and Daniel Winnick. And I know that that doesn't set anybody's uh, pants on fire with excitement, but Eriksson-Eck has kind of been one of those intriguing prospects who struggled a lot this year but has a good amount of skill and could get hot. And I feel like the Winnipeg fourth line doesn't have a whole lot to offer. So maybe if they can outplay them a little bit with the depth at times and have their shutdown line with Koivu and Parisi 
uh, step up and get some of the same production out of Eric Stahl. Like, you're going to need every single thing to go your way to make up for losing Suter and already be an underdog. But I think that it would be one of those things where if you ran a thousand simulations, you know, they win a hundred of them. It's not like they would only win one or two, that it's that much of a long shot, that I think that there is a case for them to win this series. It just does seem like Winnipeg has too much strength there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And the winner of this series is going to have to face... I'm going to say they're going to have to face the Predators. There's no way the Avalanche let, – let's let's talk about this series, the other Central series. The Predators-Avalanche, this this to me is just the Predators getting warmed up. I, I cannot envision uh, a scenario where the Avalanche managed to beat, beat the Predators four times. I can see them stealing a game. I can see Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen continuing down the path they've been on, which is dominance, which is uh, – just being able to take over certain parts of a game and and turn it on its head, um, but without Semyon Var- Varlamov, like I, I see, I see the both of the the Central Division series through a similar lens, where such a key figure of the underdog team is out, Ryan Suter, Semyon Var- Varlamov, that it's it's almost like there's they're playing from such a disadvantage before the the, the series even starts. Um, Colorado lacks depth everywhere, so you know losing your starting goalie is such a devastating blow. I think them making the playoffs uh, in itself is a massive ap- accomplishment. I had zero faith in them making any sort of run, uh, even being a fringe playoff team uh, at the start of the season. I, I didn't even want to touch them when I was thinking about who might make the playoffs this year because of last year's extreme disappointment. So... I just think that this one's going to be over in five max because the Predators are a legit Stanley Cup contender. In my opinion, they 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 will be in in the Stanley Cup final um, if if all things break their way. And uh, Colorado isn't necessarily a, a foe that they need to worry about. It would be one of the biggest upsets that I could remember if somehow Colorado pulled it out. And I think you named the only scenario, especially with Eric Johnson out too. Um, the only scenario is just that Nathan McKinnon goes so bananas that he is completely unstoppable and the Predators take a bunch of penalties and Pekka Rene has a meltdown. I mean, it would have to be everything that possibly could go wrong would go wrong. And, you know, uh, where the Predators are even stronger this year is up the middle. I mean, you've got Johansson, of course, but, you know, Kyle Turris coming in, and it took him a little while to adapt there, but it seems like he's fit in pretty nicely. Uh, Nick Bonino has not been a star, but we know that he's solid, especially in the playoffs. And then this nice little addition at the end of the season of Mike Fisher coming back, which uh, is not to be overlooked, as good as Fisher was for them last year, and and he could play that kind of defensive role where he just pops in now and then and and wins a defensive zone face-off, or he can move up the lineup if someone got hurt. I, I think that's valuable to them. And then just on defense, this is this is the biggest mismatch of any in the entire playoffs is the two teams' blue line because Nashville's is just out of this world. I mean, P.K. Subban and Matias Ekholm are a true elite pair, but then they've got another one in Ellis and Roman Yossi. You just don't get better than this. And even you know the third pair bringing in uh, Alexi Emelin, it's, it's improved now. So last year they relied very much on the first two, but you could play a third pair too or move one of those players up if you have to. I mean, it is a completely stacked team with Rene playing his best hockey 
this one would be a complete stunner. But I I would never 100% count out Nathan McKinnon because what he's done this year is one of the best seasons I can remember. Considering the team's strength and what he's been able to do to drag them into the playoffs, it was extremely impressive. Well, the thing with the Predators, too, is that Laviolette has tried to experiment with spreading the, the big 3D um, out over the three different defense pairs. So um, in that, I mean, Ekholm has been with Ellis a lot. Uh, Yossi mm-hmm. has been with Irwin a lot. Subban's been with Emelin a lot. And it hasn't been, you know, completely black and white all season. There's been some mixing and matching. But that, I, I you know, last season, I, I, all I thought was, if they have this top four that's dominant, then the third pair can just kind of cruise along in the 10 minutes that they're playing and make sure that, you know, they don't get completely caved in. That's all that they're asked to do because the other two pairs, which at the time I believe was uh, Subban, Yossi, um, and then Ekholm and Ellis. Um, what, if I'm getting my memory correct. Yeah, anyways, the top four was intact with those four big guns. Um, but now separating it, separating it and, and things going well through a full season, I mean, every time that, that Colorado was out there, they're going to face an elite defender. So um, that's an interesting development over the season that I think has been sort of forgotten about um, as this team chugs along. And and just to hit on that, that your last point and, and something I brought up too about McKinnon, I mean, this isn't the NBA. You can't just take over a series single-handedly. Like, it it can happen if... if if the other team is 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 okay, is is good, but like the Predators are great, they're not they're not a pushover by any means. So I mean, McKinnon might score you know one two goals a game if he's really uh, channeling you know his his previous self from I think it was was it 2014 15 when uh, when mm-hmm. when the Avalanche last made the playoffs and he had that incredible uh, opening round series. Like he could he could play that well again, and I don't think it's going to be enough. They might steal a game, but that's about it. Um, Question for you before we uh, exit the the Central Division. With the Central and the Atlantic, clearly the two powerhouse divisions, uh, the Metro, the Pacific are, you know, based on the standings, based on the eye test, the underlying numbers, they're the the weaker divisions. If you were a team, would you rather be going through the Central or would you rather be going through the Atlantic? Ooh, that's a pretty good question. Um, I oh man, that's hard. I'm gonna say that I would rather go through the Atlantic um, because I feel like the Central top two teams, especially even even the the flawed Wild team, is is pretty darn dangerous. But the top two, I think, are so strong from top to bottom in Winnipeg and Nashville that I probably would rather go. I, I think that the Capitals are a flawed team there. I think Philly is a flawed team. Um, Even Pittsburgh isn't perfect, though. I'm still kind of feeling like Pittsburgh is going to make it deep here. Uh, But I I think that there are maybe some more holes to be found, especially on defense for the Washington Capitals team. And I I would say the depth of the Philadelphia Flyers is pretty sad. So I, I think I would pick that, but that's a really good question. Well, I did ask about the Atlantic, and that's Boston, Toronto. Oh, <laughs> but I've only I mean, heard Metro. No, yeah. Well, I did mention Metro being uh, the weaker division, but does that change things? If I'm saying Atlantic versus Central, which one would you rather be in as a team? Also, who named these divisions? I know are they're they terrible. Serious with these? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Apparently, they are. Um. So okay, well, it was a great answer, though. Anyway, oh, it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I didn't even stop you. It was so good. 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, well, now that does make it a little bit harder because of how good Boston is. Uh, they lost Brandon Carlo, but I think they'll be able to make up for that. Toronto, oh, man. I think I might rather face the Central, but I really don't feel great about that answer. Um, the fact that the Wild are a little bit weaker would probably change my mind here. Though, I want to see Toronto play Ron Hainsey 25 minutes a night and go all the way to the Stanley Cup final because, I mean, that would just make us all look silly, I guess. But I've, I've looked at that all year and gone, I, I can't believe Toronto is sticking with him and not making a trade at the deadline, but um, I, I, I guess they, they know what they're doing there. Uh, that would be the only real weak point. I do wonder about Tukarask these days, but Tampa Bay is an absolute monster. I think Tampa Bay and Nashville are the two best teams in the league. Uh, maybe Boston is a little bit stronger than Winnipeg. I don't know. Man, that's a good question. I think probably I'd have to go because Toronto is stronger than the Wild. I would have to go the Central there. Yeah, I would probably do the same. And, and we'll get into the Leafs and the right side of their defense in a bit here. Let's finish off the Western Conference, though. So uh, we got the Golden Knights against the Kings. Um, this this series I'm, I'm pretty interested in. I think it's going to be highly entertaining. I think that um, – I, I think Vegas has, has a real chance to win this series because it's going to be basically a fast team, as, as we've seen with the Golden Knights all year. Um, they come at you – 60 minutes a night when the puck isn't on their stick in their own and it's moving up the ice immediately. Um, they have a lot of depth, a lot of speed throughout their lineup. Um, and then you have the Kings on the other side who have improved in, in the, the speed department or the pace department this year, but are still not exactly um, a run and gun team. Um, so, I, you know, I think, I think matchups will, will play in a lot with like in terms of coaching I think I think Gerard Gallant is going to be tested. You know, he's Jack Adams' uh, runaway winner at this point. But in the playoffs, it's a whole different ball game in terms of trying to get your best guys. Which at this point is William Carlson, Jonathan Margisil, and Riley Smith. How do you get those guys away from Kopitar Brown? Assuming that that's uh, what the Kings want to do. How, how do you how do you sort of outsmart John Stevens? So I think home ice advantage will play into that, and obviously that's in, in Vegas's favor. Um, I think in net, Flurry versus Quick is is also an interesting matchup, and then you have the Kings and, and their defense with with Doughty, uh, Muzzin, Martinez, and, and that group. They're they're one of the best defense corps in, in the league in terms of underlying numbers and counting stats. They figured out a way to continue uh, to stop shots, to stop goals, and and while also uh, you know producing more offense than they have in years past with this sort of new. Uh, mindset or new philosophy surrounding around the old uh, um, crash and bang kings as they were. Um, how do you see this this going with with Vegas and uh, Los Angeles? I think that this could be a tight series, but I feel like Vegas is just ripe to get upset here. Um, in part because their top pair is Nate Schmidt and Braden McNabb. And Derek Englund is playing a top-four role. And I'm just having a tough time seeing a team that relies very much on having great depth, and they definitely do. They have three really good lines, um, but they don't have someone of Anzi Kopitar's talent. They certainly don't have anyone in the stratosphere of Drew Doughty. And I think that in the past, we've seen a lot of the superstar talent take over these series and, and dominate. And I really question, I know William Carlson had an unbelievable year, 
But I really question if he can score when Anze Kopitar is out there trying to shut him down because we've seen Kopitar take down far better, far uh, more proven players than William Carlson. And, like, when does his 23% shooting percentage finally hit the wall? It's got to be at some point, right? Uh, Los Angeles does not have great depth, but getting Jeff Carter back after he was out for most yeah, of the year. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, to, to, yeah, Toffoli has played pretty well. Now, Jake Muzzin is kind of unclear for this series, and that could be a difference maker there. But even, you know, adding Dion Phaneuf to have some depth on that uh, blue line. I mean, he's kind of in the right position now, finally, is not being asked to be a number one defenseman. So you, I, I would pick L.A. here. Um, and I kind of trust Jonathan Quick in the playoffs more than I trust Marc-Andre Fleury, who has had many a meltdown in the postseason. Um, but, you know, I, maybe that's kind of a trendy pick to say L.A. over Vegas because even though they had that great regular season, it's hard to buy into them as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender when they don't have that true great blue liner. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm going to have to disagree. I think that Vegas is going to pull this off. I, like. My my main rationale behind it is that they keep proving me wrong. I thought after 20 games, okay, okay, the, the party's over. 30 games, all right. I mean, I guess it's possible that this group of cast-offs could win. I don't know how many wins they had at that time, but could be still rolling, uh, you know, at the 30-game mark. By 50 games, I'm starting to be a little convinced. By 60, and then you get to 80, and you look at what they've accomplished. You know, they're pretty good on special teams. Uh their 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 shot metrics are perfectly fine. Um, they I mean, it's weird, right? Because so many guys are having career years because of opportunity that it's very hard to see the truth in all this. Like David Perron, I never imagined that he would be an impact player, and he is he is one of the best Golden Knights player. He's been very consistent. Um, he's a good two way player, and I just there's something about the Knights in terms of the way that. It's all developed. I don't know if the league has really figured out how to play them. And, you know, your pitch about Kopitar covering Margisil and his line, you know, you start to convince me a bit with that because it's sort of like, okay, now it's time to, to play uh, to play real hockey. It's it's a series we can game plan against. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this is when it all ends. But I feel like they have one round to win, and then and then it all falls apart. That's at least how I see it unfolding. Well, I mean, I think it's one of the hardest ones to pick because you're right when you look on paper at Vegas and, and what they've achieved this year. And I know that people have uh, joked around about the Vegas flu and, you know, teams not playing well uh, when they go into Vegas to play. But, you know, the Golden Knights have been good on the road, too. It's not like their stats go completely to hell when they go on the road and then you figure if teams aren't going to party as much in the playoffs or something. I mean, they've been a legitimately very, very good team, and I do think uh, Gerard Gallant, uh, not only has he uh, gotten some sweet, sweet revenge on the Florida Panthers, but I think he's just a fantastic hockey coach who has found ways to use guys that you know maybe were underrated and underappreciated in, in their previous spots, and it is a, a great story, and there's so much skill on that forward group, I mean, uh, you know, you look, uh, Thomas Tatar is, uh, you know, a third liner right now, and that's that's pretty good when you've got that player playing on your third line. It's just I, I tend to lean toward the superstar talent because I think that Dowdy and Kopitar are so much better than the best Vegas Golden Knights player. And, that's, and I also think that uh, Quick is the better playoff goalie. 
But with goalies, you know, who knows? Seven games, uh, anything can happen there. So I think that that one is definitely the most challenging. I will pick L.A., but I don't feel super confident about it. Okay, well, we're going to have to discuss after the series and uh, maybe place a friendly wager beforehand. And uh, I I just think it's going to come down to coaching. So let's see what happens there between Gallant and Stevens, two guys that are – I mean, like, Gallant's been around, but John Stevens, it's his first year really running a bench by himself or or at the helm and – I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe they make a run here. Um, all right, let's finish off the Western Conference. Like, as much as the Vegas and, and L.A. series sort of um, confuses me a little bit, conflicts me a little bit, that's more on, like, the side of there's too much going on, there's too much to analyze. With the Ducks and the Sharks, I feel like it's a second-tier series. Like, I feel like it's the hardest one to get a read on because they're aging teams, um... There's been a lot of injuries, say, on the Ducks, um, so a lot of off years on the Ducks. But then they have, you know, Andre Kasha. That's That's been great. And, like, I sort of just go back and forth, and I just end up going, both these teams are, like, they're fine. They're, they're good. They're they're just – they don't blow me away. So I kind of – I go back and forth and, and don't really know um, where to land. And, and, and I think San Jose in seven is, is kind of my, my pick, but I'm curious to see how, how you break it down. Well, this is this is going to be my hottest take of the Let's entire podcast. Hear it. So, put on the oven mitts, my friend. <laughs> I think that I think the Ducks are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Okay. And my my reasoning on this is that at the beginning of the year they were so beat up. I mean, they were missing Kessler, and they were missing uh, Hampus Lindholm, and they were missing Ryan Getzlaff for a period of time there and they were just yeah. so down on their luck that at one point Derek Grant is their number one center. That's and unbelievable. It really is, right? And he kind of, you know, had a couple of good nights or whatever, but he is an AHL guy or fourth line center at best and he's up on the first line. So, over the last couple of months they've gotten everybody healthy and now Getzlaff is playing as good as ever. Kessler has not hit his stride entirely yet. But if he does, you know how good he can be, and he's an incredible competitor. And I love where Adam Henrique fills in on this team as the number three center. Like, how many teams have a number three center that's as good as Adam Henrique? I mean, this guy could score 25, 30 goals in a year. So uh, I think that's a big advantage there for them. And do not uh, underappreciate their, their defense, especially if Cam Fowler can come back healthy. I know that he's going to kind of be, uh, we'll, we'll see where he lands, but uh, their top pair is as good as anyone. Um, Brandon Montour has uh, really surprised me this year that I think he's become a very nice player. Uh, they don't have much for a third pair, but, I mean, those top two pairs, especially if uh, Fowler comes back, are, are really good. Um, so that's kind of my, like, don't overlook them or don't sleep on them. And I am just not buying major stock in San Jose, in part because out of when I ranked all the forward groups, I had San Jose dead last because wow. Joe Thornton is is out. I I mean, Mikel Bodker is on your second line, and I don't think he's a very good player at all. So I look at them as having maybe some depth, but just very little high-end skill at this point. Pavelski's not the player that he used to be. Marlowe is in Toronto, so... Uh, I'm I'm picking the Ducks for this one. Yeah, Thornton, he's, he's out with a knee injury right now. Definitely for game one, possibly, probably longer, to be honest. Um, 
They're they're really lucky that they picked up Evander Kane because I think they'd be in serious trouble right now heading into the playoffs with Thornton out. And as you mentioned, they're not getting younger. They haven't really restocked the cupboard much. Uh, I mean, like Chris Tierney ended up being their fifth highest scorer, um, which not, no offense to, to Chris Tierney. I actually I, I covered him back in the day when he was playing for the London Knights, but I mean he's not he's not supposed to be uh, you know fifth on the team in scoring no matter what team it is. Um, yeah, th- this series is. Uh, you look at the goalies too, like Martin Jones versus John Gibson, who's I believe uh, on his way back. I think he's fine, but but you know Ryan Miller's had a, a really good year, arguably the best backup or one of the best, depending on how you feel about Curtis McElhaney. Um I just I just find myself wanting more with both of these teams, and they've always sort of been those teams where. You know, they've had their peak years. They've had their really high-end regular seasons. But when it comes to the playoffs, aside from a couple of runs, they've they've always just sort of been in a second tier in the Western Conference. And I feel like it's like that again this year. One of them is going to move on, and they will face, uh, you know, maybe Vegas. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe the Kings. So, so between those four teams, uh, they're moving on to, to the Western Conference final. And I just feel like the, the Central is just the high end of the central is like light years away from, from, from the high end of, of the other side of the bracket with, with, with the Pacific. Yeah. It's a kind of the downside of this entire system is as fun as it is to uh, fill out a little bracket here. Um, it doesn't seem quite fair for the team strength maybe. And then we kind of saw that a little bit uh, possibly with Ottawa last year, but uh, you know, I mean, would it surprise you at all, no matter where they land in the regular season, if it was Ducks Kings again? You know, to, to to battle it out there. We've just I feel like we've seen that so many times with those teams. It's one or the other, and they're both just uh, brutally competitive. Uh, the Sharks, I think, have seen their best days, and I don't see them getting back there now. Uh, the return of Paul Martin to the lineup is kind of intriguing because we know how good he can be when he's at his best, but he's also 37. Um, so I like their defense overall, though, with Burns and, and Mark Edward Vlasic is still a great player. I, I think where this really comes down to, this whole deal, is I don't buy into Evander Kane as a great player. Um, after having seen him in Buffalo quite a bit, and I know he was super hot to start his, his uh, San Jose Sharks career, but I don't buy into him as a playoff player that's going to step up and really carry this team, uh, which is why they traded for him. He's kind of a selfish player. He's over-aggressive. He can make uh, a lot of mistakes, and, and there, you never know what kind of distraction he might end up bringing to your team. So I just have not been a fan of his for quite some time, and I feel like he's and I could be completely wrong. This could be uh, the you know the Twitter account that exposes bad takes from the past. I just feel like he's the type of guy who is going to make some mistakes in a series that are really going to blow up in his face and and cost his team, even if he scores a goal or two. Yeah, I, I mean he's not replacing Thornton, but he the fact that they got him at the deadline was at least. A, a net positive. I mean, like th- think about having one less player on their roster right now and. And also, you think about um, you, you mentioned Anaheim with Adam Henrique. If we can transition to the Devils, and they sort of with, with that deal, Henrique for Vatnin, like Vatnin's obviously worked out well in, in New Jersey. But then you look at at the Devils; they're playing the, the Tampa Bay 
Lightning, let's talk about the Eastern Conference. They're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they have no secondary scoring. They sort of, it was sort of, uh, you know, one out and one in. And that that series, if we're talking about Tampa versus New Jersey, it it's about as lopsided, I think, as Nashville and, and Colorado. I feel like we didn't have this last year where there's just obvious, you know, underdog, obvious um, favorite for two series, and, and, it's, and it's a one and, and a wild card. I feel like that wasn't there that last year, but it's definitely here this year where I think that um, it's it's very lopsided between the Lightning and the Devils. And I think it starts with Taylor Hall being essentially the Devils' entire team. Keith Kincaid's had a great run here, but he's still Keith Kincaid. I think the, the Fairy Dust is running out on his run. Um, and, you know, there's some good stories with Nico Hischier, with Brian Boyle and, and battling back from, from cancer. Will Butcher's had a good rookie season. Like I said, Vatnin, nice addition. But the Lightning are a powerhouse, and, and the Devils are just lucky to be in, in the playoffs, really. Uh, and, you know, the additions that they made at the deadline in New Jersey I thought were really good, uh, but they've done nothing. I mean, when it, Patrick Maroon and Michael Grabner, I mean, Grabner – um, is far from a perfect player, but he was a really good scorer when he was in New York, uh, both New Yorks actually, and we haven't seen him do a darn thing, and he's going to start the playoffs in the fourth line playing alongside Brian Boyle, which does not seem like a fit whatsoever. And you also have to think, too, do you, do you wonder about that 2015 draft? I think about this all the time with sure. the draft because it was it was one that I was – I've never been so interested in a draft as in 2015 because there was McDavid and Eichel and so many other good players. And the guy that I just couldn't get enough of was uh, Ivan Provorov, who has turned out to be a fantastic player for the Flyers. And when New Jersey passed on Provorov to pick Pavel Zaka, I was like, that hurts. are you kidding me? You know, I, I, it was that time where I had blazing hot takes about all the draft guys. It just, are you kidding me? passing on him to take Zaka. And knowing draft history, I could have been completely wrong, but you wonder if New Jersey wakes up every day with their defense that's really weak and with Zaka, who's not even a 30-point scorer, if they look at, at, at what Provorov has done and just say, man, Provorov had more goals this year as a defenseman than Zaka has scored in 140 games in the NHL. I mean, that is... That is amazing. So the, the, you're right. The forward group outside of that top line is, is really short on skill, and the defense is just not good at all, I don't think. I mean, Botnin's a nice player, and, and Will Butcher's a nice story, but he's a guy that's got to be protected, and Andy Green is 50 years old. So I, I think <laughs> that this it would be the, the same thing, the same way that I look at that uh, other series with Nashville and Colorado is, if New Jersey pulled this off, it would be one of the biggest shocks that I have ever seen. Just the Lightning are just like their forward group. You just like you you run down the list, and there's literally like ten guys that could be maybe the third best player, second best player, fourth best player on on the Devils. Um, you know, after even after Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, they're they're sort of three headed beasts there. You know, Point Johnson, Gord. Killorn, uh, JT Miller, uh, Palat, and then if you want to get into defensemen, McDonough, Strawman, Sergachev. The the star power is there, and it's it's there, there's there's a handful of them. There's almost a dozen of them. Um, 
Whereas if you're looking on the on the Devils' bright side, I mean maybe Vezilevsky not showing well in the second half is 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 where you where you you know you see sort of some sort of weakness. Um, both teams are very speedy, so that kind of cancels each other out. Um, I don't know. New Jersey had such a strong start to the season that I wanted to believe in them. I was getting excited about them. They had a strong finish to the season, so there's that going for them. But just on paper, and and when you look at the the gaudy totals that that Taylor Hall put up versus the rest of the team, and it's you shut Taylor Hall down, and 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 it's basically you know let's wipe our hands of the series, and and we'll be done in five max. I feel like this would be like if Latvia had beat Canada. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just Latvia it's had a couple bad. of nice players, but the, I mean this lineup from uh, Tampa Bay—they deserve to be the Cup favorites because I mean when you have Sergachev as your as a third pair defenseman, and he's one of the most exciting young defensemen in the NHL, and you have proven guys like Chris Kunitz and Ryan Callahan just playing on fourth line roles, it, it really says something about your depth and your talent, and that top line of Stamkos, Kucherov, and J.T. Miller. I don't think that people really appreciate how good J.T. Miller is. And maybe he hasn't quite gotten the chemistry yet with those guys, but going into a playoff series with him, his speed, his offensive ability, and uh, Kucherov has become one of the best scorers in the league. It just would be such a big upset because of the, the talent level from top to bottom is so high with Tampa Bay. And, and just, just in general, an overarching thought that I'm having as we're sure. talking is just, if it's not Nashville and Tampa Bay, I'm going to be disappointed. What do you mean Aren't in the you? in the in the final? Yes, in no. the cup final because when I when I match up the, all these these teams that you know the Nashville and Tampa Bay, when I match them up to everybody else outside of Pittsburgh because they have Crosby and Malkin, but just bear with me on that. But they are so much more talented than everybody else. I think from top to bottom, they just have such better complete teams that that is a matchup that I really really want to see is, is Tampa Bay and Nashville I think I think the Bruins are, are right there um, let's talk about them and the Maple Leafs this this series is going to be first of all a hell of a series I think it's the most uh, if, if we are doing sort of a watchability rankings I think it'd be number one I think it's gonna be pretty unpredictable I think it's gonna go six seven games and it's sort of a dice roll but I would give it to Boston um, because from the least perspective, how the hell do you stop uh, this unstoppable first line of of, uh, of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand? Like that's 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 priority number one. And and I, I mentioned it, you know, about a half hour ago, and about the the right side of the the defense on on Toronto, you have you know Hainsey with with Riley. So Hainsey's on the right side there. He would be fine in a second pairing, you know, where you're not trying to contain Bergeron's line. But okay, let, let's say that that's okay. But after that, Nikita Zaitsev has had a very bad sophomore season compared to his rookie season. There's something going on there that I can't really figure out that I think a lot of people in Toronto haven't figured out. But regardless, it's not positive. Um, and then it's 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 Roman Polak on the, on the right side on the third pair. So if Boston can exploit that, and they're not just a one-line team, mind you. Uh, you know, their their top line is, is the best line in hockey, so it gets a lot of the press. But... Um, they do have a bit of depth there. And, you know, if we switch it to the other side, the Bruins, they got to figure out how are they going to avoid getting caved in um, during the times that, that their their top line is on the bench just because you look at, at the Leafs 
and the way that they've decided to spread the wealth around the top three lines and and their fourth line's pretty good when you you know there's a lot of talk about it in Toronto but when you look at some of the other fourth lines across the league like it's it's pretty good Casperi Kapanen's on it um Thomas Plakanic Plakanic is is centering it so that's pretty good um but those those top three lines I mean Boston has a lot of work to do here um I realize that Toronto's not an elite defensive team that's actually Boston uh, allowing the fewest shot attempts fewest shots fewest scoring chances um, so Toronto has to deal with that, but um, they just come at you. Uh, Toronto, the scoring chances going the other way are constant. There's a lot of creativity between uh, Marner, Nylander. You got Austin Matthews as one of the best even strength players in the entire league. Uh, I'm talking offense, and he's also very good defensively. Um, and then the the Bruins have like a really good rookie class that's that's been very underrated. Like. This is, this is a very tough series, and like I said, it's sort of the unpredictable one, the one that you need to watch to really witness and see the finer points. Um, but I think Boston's going to take this, and, and, and it might be seven games. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a seven-game series. And, of course, of uh, Toronto you know, in the playoffs has to play Boston at some point, right? <laughs> Just have to. Um, the, the matchup between Austin Matthews and Patrice Bergeron, I hope that um, – from a coaching standpoint, the they don't decide to try to work around like tit for tat sort of thing. They just what's that? Like tit for tat, sort of like like our best versus yeah. your best. Let's go. Yeah, no, I agree. That'd be amazing. Exactly, exactly. Mike Babcock, do not try to get Matthews away from Bergeron. I want to see Matthews and Bergeron the whole series, seven straight games of two of the best two way players in the entire NHL. The veteran versus the young guy. I want to see them battling it out because I think that would just be beautiful hockey. But um, I, I agree with you. I think Boston is a slightly stronger team, and, and the difference maker to me is just Charlie McAvoy. Uh, he, he's been one of the best defensemen in the NHL this year, and the guy's 20 years old. It's been absolutely incredible that he's basically extended uh, Zdeno Chara's career here, and I think he's probably. Even though I've liked more of what I've seen of Jake Gardner, maybe I'm crazy for saying that because I know Gardner gets ripped all the time. No, he's a pretty um, good player. But I, yeah, I, I mean, he, he just gets anybody who's an offensive defenseman who has bad turnovers and soft defensive plays is, in some people's mind, just the worst player of all time. But um, you know, Gardner played a ton of minutes this year, and I, I thought that he had a pretty decent season. But um, you know, when you're talking about on defense. I think that there's a pretty decent advantage there for Boston. But, I, I mean... Brandon it's, Carlo it's being out, is it, that hurts. It does. It definitely does. But, th- I mean, this is, this is not easy to pick. It really isn't. I mean, with, you know, I know that Bozak has kind of been um, maybe not Babcock's favorite and has been bumped down the, the lineup a little bit. But when you're talking about a third line that has a 30-goal score in Van Riemsdyk and Bozak, who's been a top center at times during his career. That's that's pretty fantastic depth right there. So this this series does look like it could be a, a beautiful one and maybe maybe that third line is the difference maker because you know Brian Gianta is going to be expected to take on a, a decent sized role here. This is a guy that had retired from the NHL. So um you know we'll we'll see but I, I'm with you that it's a seven game series that, or at least it should be and I feel like there is a slight edge to Boston. Yeah, the goalies I feel like cancel each other out. I think Rask is, you know, is more or less a peer to to Anderson. I think Anderson gets left out to dry a lot, and and sometimes you just 
you let in goals when there's a, a million odd man rushes. So we'll see how that turns out. But I think you know if if you're trying to figure out an advantage in goaltending, it's it's not there. It's it's pretty even. Um, and yeah, you met, you mentioned the the, the Bruins and, and their defense corps. I mean, Zdeno Chara, Charlie McAvoy, Tori Krug. If they had Brandon Carlo there, I'd feel a lot more confident about picking the Bruins uh, to win in seven. Whereas now it's more of a, a dice roll, but. I would still go with them, um, but at the same, like I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Toronto won in five. Just you know, they got the bounces, yeah. or they got on Boston early, and all of a sudden it's two nothing, and they they go into uh, you know a more defensive sort of scheme because we all know that Mike Babcock does not screw around, and and he would figure out a way to to probably out coach Bruce Cassidy, who's having a fantastic coaching year, mind you. Um, so yeah, this is this is number one on the list, even though I would. I would be watching it the most, anyways, uh, being based in Toronto and following the Leafs a lot. But um, I think, I think objectively, it's it's kind of the the series to watch. Although I think uh, the Penguins versus the Flyers uh, could get really wacky, could get a little crazy. Um, I don't know if you remember, but in 2012, the last time they met, there were 56 goals scored in six games <laughs> between these two teams. Um, and then this season, Pittsburgh sweeps. The Flyers in the season series four nothing and scored a bunch of goals. So, I mean, I don't I don't like to put too much weight into to regular season matchups and, and the season series because I think there's a lot of variables um, that are you know going up and down, a lot of balls in the air that aren't necessarily there come playoff time. Um, but I, I like this matchup. I think the Penguins are going to win. Um, I think they're going to win probably in probably six games or so. Um, but. Um, uh, the, the fly, like first of all, the Flyers' penalty kill is is awful. I believe it's like 29th, 30th in the league, and the Penguins is like borderline historically great, uh, 26.1 right now, uh, and they just have a million weapons on there, and uh, that alone uh, tilts the tilts the scales towards Pittsburgh, and then you just as I think you've mentioned a couple times through the podcast, and I think it's it's almost a cliche at this point. It's like you have Crosby, you have Malkin. Right down the middle, one, two, two legit generational players, and then Kessel, who has done nothing but but produce offense for the last I don't know how long his career is about ten years or so. When those guys are on three lines and they have workmen like guys filling in in the other spaces, like it's almost the perfect formula. And we, you know, everyone talks about it, but it's just it's true. It's how how do you how do you defend against? Uh, you know, how many, that would be about 45 minutes a night where it's Crosby and Malkin right down the middle, both good defensively, obviously tremendous offensively. So you got to take the Penguins here, right? Uh, yeah, I definitely take the Penguins. And, and what we saw last year too in the playoffs was um, Phil Kessel get bumped up with Evgeny Malkin and those two just dominate. Instead of having the, the three lines spread out, uh, those two carried a lot of the scoring last year in the playoffs. And then, you know, the addition of Broussard can't be overlooked either. Uh, you know, that, um, yes, of course, such a, su- such a good, such a good player that isn't talked about a whole lot and, uh, adding him to the mix just gives them some extra depth that they didn't have before. What I've always thought about Crosby is he single-handedly dominates himself so effectively that, you could put these other guys with him that allow you to spread out the talent, that there are some players that would need to play with Malkin or need to play with Kessel. He's got Brian Russ there, and you know that he's going to uh, just be a complete 
mismatch for whoever he's playing because he's just that good at dominating the puck himself. I mean, that that's kind of the undercurrent of what, what his impact is. Like, you see the scoring and you see the power play effectiveness and how hard he works along the boards and the zone entries, but uh, you you, you miss that Phil Kessel scores a lot because he's got mismatches. Third lines trying to shut him down is, is pretty much impossible. And I think that this team, save for now shaky and questionable goaltending, uh, we're back to that in Pittsburgh, uh, but I think it's better. I think it's a better team than they had last year because Chris Letang is back and uh, Matt Hunwick gives them just a little bit of a solid third-line type of guy. Um, it seems like that Schultz and Mata pair has come together a little bit, but having Chris Letang back in the lineup, it seemed like it took him a long time to shake off the rust from last year, but in the second half of the season has been much better. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I think that their overall lineup top to bottom is better than it was last season when they won the cup. Now it's just, you know, can their goaltending hold up? Because it's been a major question mark all season long. I, I do like the Philly team. I, I mean, their first line is as good as any first line in the NHL. Their first pair is one of the best, I think, with uh, Gostas Bear and Provorov. Um, it's just the rest of the lineup, I mean, it, compared to almost every other team in the playoffs, is subpar. Yeah, I mean, we can't discredit the, the work that's been done in Philadelphia. They lost 10 games in a row. That's one-eighth of the season that they lost in a row in the middle of the season, and it's like, okay, see you later. And they end up making the playoffs, and and they make the playoffs not necessarily – um, by the time they clinch, you're not like, wow, they finally made. It's like, no, they're they're le- like, they're fairly legit. Like Claude Giroux um, has had a hell of a season. Uh, Voracek is putting up his usual assist numbers. Uh, Wayne Simmons always a beast in front of the net. Um, Travis Konechny, uh, no one's talking about what what type of sophomore season he's having. I think that deserves a, little bit, a bit of credit. So. I mean, Dave Haxtall, I think he, he should be on the Jack Adams uh, ballot for some people. Not to win. I think that's Gallant's award. But, and I talked about this uh, the last episode of, of Off the Post that I, th- I think Haxtall's done a pretty good job sort of steering the ship because at one point people were calling for his head after that, that losing streak. And they were very streaky overall. You know, a lot of uh, five, six game winning streaks, another five game losing streak. Like they've been, it's been a roller coaster to, the, to say the least. Um, and I think I think they're going to take a game or two, but but it's it's the Penguins series uh, for sure. Yeah, I I'm sure I'm not the first one to point this out, but those those ten losses. I remember looking at the Flyers during those ten losses, and five of them were in overtime. And uh, at that point, they they were showing signs of actually being a pretty good team. But uh, you know, just, I, I think you lose five in overtime or shootout that's just purely bad luck and the morale though i would imagine the morale wasn't great oh yeah (laughs) yeah no it definitely was well especially because you you become the talk of the league exactly one of your losses you get to five or six losses in a row and then every single game is how long is the streak going to go and then 10 you end up being uh, talked about as if your season is over but uh yeah i I agree with uh you about dave haxtell that you know, getting that top line together, getting Giroux and Couturier to play together and maximizing the offensive talent of Couturier, um, he deserves a lot of credit for that, but I don't think they're going to win this series. <laughs> yeah, love me some uh, Sean Couturier and also some some Artemi Panarin. I, I like. Let, let's talk about the Blue Jackets and the Capitals because I, I think one of my most favorite 
players to watch in terms of like when they're at their peak level um, and just from a pure entertainment perspective is, is Artemi Panarin. When he's at his peak, uh, he's an absolute treat to watch. And, you know, he's, he's worked a lot with, with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, which has been interesting because a lot of people were saying, oh, he's kind of a bust. Uh, when is he ever going to make the NHL? And then he ends up having a pretty good season here, uh, Dubois. Um, and then the, the Jones and Warensky pairing is, I mean, at what point are they are they in the conversation to be one of the best pairings in the league, right? Because they probably haven't had enough. Um, the sample size isn't big enough, but I don't think anyone's going to actually argue against the fact that they both of them might challenge for the Norris Trophy in the future. And, and Jones seems like the better all around guy, but Warensky shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be cast aside either. So I, I I like the Blue Jackets here and and. And mainly because it comes down to goaltending, and I think um, what's going on in Washington right now with uh, Philip Grubauer has been announced as the starter for Game One, but Braden Holpe is clearly, you know, he's the the, the franchise goalie. Um, I just feel like that's kind of awkward. Like, do you want to go into a series when you don't really know what's going on in net? Um, when when Columbus is coming in hot, um, and then obviously there's there's the, the whole storyline of Washington just never figuring it out in the playoffs. And they've lost so many bodies from last year. Shattenkirk. Um, trying to think of other ones off the top of my head. There's a whole slew of guys that they lost in the summer. Alsner, although you know nothing special, he's still a body that they lost from um, from the back end. Uh, Schmidt. Um, like you just, they've lost so many bodies and haven't really added much. You know, they signed T.J. Oshie to this big deal, and it's like, okay, you know, cool. Um, I just, I know that Washington's gonna be very motivated, but I feel like. Columbus has their their act together a little bit more, and the fact that Bobrovsky, uh, Mister Vesna contender, it seems like every year he's already won two. Um, uh, the fact that he's backstopping them just gives them the upper hand in a series that I find pretty tight. Oh, I definitely think that it's really tight, and Columbus is my uh, Eastern Conference version of Anaheim. That um, I think that they are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And the difference between them and Washington, um, I, I think they're actually maybe a better team than Washington, especially since they added Thomas Vanek. I mean, Thomas Vanek still playing hockey and still scoring goals. The man does one thing, and he does it well, and he's done it for a long time. But now he's kind of solidified that lineup and pushed everybody down. Um, and kind of you ask less from you know somebody who's a, a young player like uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand or you – Ask a little less from Nick Foligno when you have Vanek and, and he helps the, the power play out a bit that's just been putrid for them all season long. And But, you know, at five on five, they're one of the best teams in the entire NHL. They have dominated the, the shot counter. They've outscored their opponents. They have good goaltending. I, I mean, if you look at the uh, the goals for percentage, they're ahead of Washington in, at the even strength. So, you know, a lot of these playoff series, they end up being played at evens. And when I look at Washington's defense, I don't like it. I mean, I, I, I have never been a big John Carlson fan as a top defenseman. I mean, I think he's very offensively gifted, but I don't look at him as someone who shuts opponents down or plays a strong defensive game, which I think has been one of Washington's shortcomings for a long time, that they really have never had that guy. Orlov and Niskanen, solid pair but nowhere close to what Jones and Wierenski uh, bring. And then you mentioned the goaltending thing. It's just, all right, are we going to get into another one of those situations where it's 
this guy and then that guy and then trying to just play whack-a-ball and, and pick the right guy on, on the right night. And so I think that you know Columbus is in a great situation here to possibly pull off this upset. It's funny. You mentioned the underlying numbers in the 5-on-5 five five play. Like If you actually look at this series sort of from from 30,000 feet, you know, you're seeing the Blue Jackets, they're sort of the fancy stats, advanced stats team that also has depth. And then you look at the Capitals, they're sort of the counting stats team that have the stars. Like, it could go one of two ways. Like, Kuznetsov and Backstrom are the one-two punch down the middle for Washington. For Columbus, it's Dubois and Wenberg. I don't know if that's uh, – that's not really comparable. I, th- I think Washington wins that one. But like you mentioned, the defense, Niskin and Carlson as your – your best defenseman, that's not championship quality. And, and and is it even good enough to win a series? But the, I guess the X factor um, is if, if, if Columbus decides to take penalties, if things get out of hand and they, you know, things get away from them somehow, um, it, it might, it might just completely shift the series because Washington has that trademark power play. That's always at the top of the league. Again, I would think it was a top five power play this year. Um, and Columbus, their penalty kill and their power play are are a problem. So it, it's interesting the contrast between the two teams. I think uh, um, I, I'm I'm definitely going Columbus, and I think it's going to go six or seven games. But um, I mean, again, I wouldn't be so, it's sort of it's sort of Toronto Boston where I'm a little on the fence. But I think Toronto Boston it's it's almost more of a coin flip. Whereas this one is like a few things really have to go to Washington's way for this to turn out well for them. Yeah, you know what's funny about this series is uh, if you're one of those people that likes to snark about things, this is perfect for you because if um, Alex Ovechkin loses, you could just say, well, oh, look, Alex Ovechkin isn't a winner, I guess. And if John Tortorella loses, you could say, oh, I guess Tortorella was the wrong choice for Columbus, right? (laughs) I mean, you could if you want to be that, that person. Yeah, and that person definitely exists oh. on the internet. Oh, it's, yes. It, it, it's one of those things when John Tortorella was hired by Columbus and the internet completely melted down and called them stupid across the board, I, it just drove me crazy. Like, the guy not only won a Stanley Cup, but had all sorts of success with the Rangers. And, and I'm sorry, but, you know, when you're playing in a um, you know a conference that has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and so much other talent – you know, yeah, he didn't win the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers, but they were always in that conversation year after year. So I, I always gave him a lot of credit as a head coach, even though there was some stuff that you didn't like. And Vancouver, he, you know, I thought that that was one of those total, you know, if you duck in and out of a situation, then maybe you think that he was a complete disaster. But he started out pretty well, and then the entire team got hurt, and then he had his meltdown in that game against Calgary that made all the headlines. I just, I just think that we focus too much on some of the antics, which have mostly disappeared in Columbus, and not enough on what a good coach he is. And it, and it seems like he's adjusted his coaching style to that team and, and made some tweaks, you know, the getting rid of the morning skates and things like that. I mean, I, I think he's just done a really smart job with Columbus and deserves a lot of credit for that, even if some people don't like his personality. Hey, he, he won the Jack Adams last year, and usually those coaches – get fired or fall off the face of the earth or their team does terrible the next year and look at look at where he is so um yeah Tortorella I think I think the 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 tide is turning on him a little bit at least um for people that want to open their mind to to the possibility of of people um 
sort of changing their styles and, and maybe um, being misunderstood before. Whatever you want to paint uh, Tortorella, whatever brush you want to paint him with. But uh, Barry Trotz on the other bench, I mean, he could lose his job if they, if they lose uh, in the first round here. I know I've I've heard many pundits say that. So um, a lot's on the line here. Like it's almost at a point in Washington where. Um, it's getting almost like silly where it's like, uh, there's, there's so much, I know, I realize that they didn't win the president's trophy this time, but there's still pressure. Like Columbus is, is one of the, I don't know how to put this least sexy team in, in the NHL, like just from a market perspective. And, and I mean, they're not blowing the doors off anyone anyways. So like they're, 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 they're still the favorites in terms of like, uh, from a distance or, or, uh, profile wise. So uh, they find themselves in this situation again, where the pressure's on, like, you know, if you don't win the first round, and, and even if you win the first round, if you don't win the second round, like, trouble's coming kind of thing. And I feel like with Carlson's contract up in the summer, it's only going to get worse money-wise. Like, they're either going to lose him completely for nothing, which is the likely scenario, or do they shuffle the deck again and try to make room for his um, probably $7, 8000000 million contract? Like, this is kind of the year for them, and that's kind of that's, that's sad to say um, just based on the type of teams that they've had in the past. Um, if you go back, like rewind, I don't know, five years ago, maybe even three years ago, the team on paper was a lot better. Um, but here they are, and, and Alex Ovechkin is, you know, one of the best goal scorers ever, maybe the best goal scorer ever when you adjust for era. And he might not get a cup, and it's based on, like, silly things, right? I don't know. Uh, Washington always sort of, like, boggles my mind. I feel like it's uh, the momentum of the storyline has just built up so much that it needs to somehow go away by by them going on some some run and otherwise it's just going to continue rolling down the mountain yeah definitely if they don't win the stanley cup this year and that is their final real shot at it i'll definitely always feel bad for alex ovechkin because he held up his part and if you look at his playoff stats he basically did the same thing that he does during the regular season he scored a bunch of points and that's his job. It's always been it's always been flawed. You know, it's the same way I feel about Bruce Boudreaux a little bit. Is you know the narrative on Boudreaux was always, oh well, he couldn't win. He couldn't win. And maybe they had one team that really should have done it and didn't. But for the most part, it was Boudreaux getting every last drip of blood out of the stone, and then Ovechkin making that team look like it was full of superstars. But I never thought that it really was. I thought it was great coaching and a great player together, but usually just uh, you know a, a flawed roster like that with one great player and a good coach isn't really going to be enough. That's not to say that their uh, rosters were disastrous and Backstrom's a great right, player right. and things like that. It's just it's just you have somebody who is really really great at their job and deserves all the credit, but something always ended up going wrong, and that was kind of that way for. Boudreaux that I think got tagged with a, a bad narrative and the same thing with Ovechkin I, I don't think this year is their year I think that they are too short of a team in certain areas uh, the depth scoring especially the defense especially but you know Trotz I put Trotz right up there as a great coach and I think it'd be really unfortunate if he ended up losing his job because they didn't win this series uh, I think that from the outside people would look at it as wow Columbus upset Washington what a huge upset but as we just went through it really wouldn't be to me it really wouldn't be at all in fact I'm going to pick Columbus so uh, but that will be the narrative and, and, and a lot of times that's what drives those decisions from ownership and from up top is where they're like well you got upset so you know 
you, you fail this again in the playoffs, you got to get fired because they'll fire anybody in the NHL for anything, you know? So I, I hope that that doesn't happen with Barry Trotz because I don't think he deserves it, and I don't think that um, Ovechkin deserves that narrative either. It's just so hard to win in the NHL. I mean, there's Now there's 31 teams. There's going to be 32. There's so much randomness. Um, like if you think about the regular season, on any given night, any team can win, and that's not – that's not even exaggerating. I mean, the worst place in worst place team in the league can be the best play the best team in the league. It's it's just one of those sports where um, you get on a roll, you get a hot goalie, you I don't know, you get a bounce here, you get a bounce there, and and with the playoffs, it's amplified. So I feel like what you just kind of got to stick to the process. In my opinion, like it sounds lame, it sounds like a cop out, but the knee jerk reactions and. A lot of them are probably to save jobs. If you're a GM, I mean, you're obviously going to use that card before you get fired. So I, I get it. Right. But but there's so many times where it's like, I mean, uh, you got a good thing going there. Let let you know, try to build on that for next year. There's a lot of um, overreactions, and and I don't know that might happen to, to Trots. And but from the Capitals' perspective, I mean, maybe you need to make a change. I don't know. Um, before I let you go, Matt, I just have a question: Atlantic Division, Metro Division. Do you know the difference or? <laughs> Uh, do I have to know the difference? No, you I don't. Mean, well, I'm... I mean, you do based on uh, the Gary Bettman uh, way of running the playoffs, but uh, you used to not have to, and then they changed the names. Like the Metro Division, I believe, um, wasn't even around until like three, four years ago. So you're off the hook on that. But I, I thought I had to to jab you a little bit at the end here. Also, explain to me how Columbus is in the uh, Metropolitan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so isn't that supposed to be like the New York Metro area? Like. I'll, I will never understand it. Just go back to naming. Oh, it them makes no sense. By by their names. If the NHL ever makes any decisions based on what they think is, oh, fans will connect better to the. Just don't even worry about it. Like all of us are nuts about hockey, and we all know the division names from back in the day. And just don't worry. Like, how about just making it fun for us, and also maybe potentially kill replay, and and get that out of the game. And like, I've got a whole list, but. This is on the list. Getting rid of the Metro and Atlantic and all that. Just, just go back to how it was. But uh, I'll leave it at that. I'm trying to mostly divert blame here for me um, mixing up the division. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I have blamed myself for, for dropping uh, Metro in the middle of my question. But um, you you have a good thought there about uh, talking about how we would change the game. And we'll leave that for another podcast. Well, I don't want to talk about instant replay. We're not going down that road. But maybe in the future... Matt, thanks for joining me. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks.